Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Mabinti Karoma Moore is the founder and CEO of Live Africa, which is an impact investment company based in Nairobi, Kenya, with a focus on impact measurement and management. They work with impact investors, social entrepreneurs, and global institutions to improve impact reporting and increase access to capital for women-led and gender-balanced business teams. Mabinti has over 15 years of experience working in international development, the private sector, corporations, donors, and development finance institutions. And she's led the Global Impact Investment Network, GIIN's IMM training, which tracks impact investments for the Sustainable Development Goals. How are you, Michelle? I'm doing well. Hmm. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's just been, I think this is what? Uh, uh, I've stopped counting. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> Another week. <laughs> They're all merging together. Uh, it's so funny that what a friend of mine was saying, like, I have no idea what hump day is now. I just, today you know, <laughs> the kind of merging in this kind of weird um, sequence. But yes. Um, here we are, still in quarantine, um, but but safe, but safe, exactly, safe at home, safe at home, and still productive and resting, and yes, thankful for that. So today we're going to be talking with Mabinti and Wakuru, two sort of um, amazing women working in Nairobi in the impact measurement and management space. So, um, you know, I've known Wakuru and Mabinti in various capacities with their work in international development and um, working with private sector um, and growing small businesses on the continent. And I've always been impressed by their passion and their depth of knowledge and um, just how innovative and creative they've been in the field. So to see them join forces and work on an initiative that is looking at impact measurement um, and management and investing with a gender lens, you know, I know that this is going to be an amazing initiative and I'm really um, excited to hear their thoughts and how they want to sort of position this um, endeavor as a way forward for uh, small small and mid-sized enterprises um, 
on the continent. And what's interesting about what Mabinti and Wakuru are doing together is they're prioritizing um, people in the creative sector, which is not generally the sector of people that are primed for investment. So I think that's also an interesting lens that they're putting um, to what they're doing, sort of recognizing and teasing out this sector that needs investment, but that is generally not prioritized for investment. Yeah, I think that having had that experience um, with Heva and looking at the apparel industry and, you know, that boom on the continent, not just as, a, as an aside, but as a real lessons learned around how to properly finance these these types of endeavours that are always you know, they always run the risk of being seen as sort of a, a hobby or just a nice um, activity that doesn't really need the type of funding that we that we know makes such a difference. Um, and, you know, also just the, the whole concept of impact measurement and management. We've got so many initiatives out there and we've talked, you know, frustratedly at times about um, pitch contests and startup and seed funding. And many of our guests have talked about, you know, what is the monitoring? Where are these businesses, you know, down the road? And what I really like about impact the i you know the idea of impact measurement and measure, um, management is that you're really thinking about what your outcomes are upfront, and so hearing more about um, you know Mabinti and Wakuru's plans in this space, I think will be very helpful because it is an area that I think is isn't given very much um, bandwidth in the more sexier things. Um, topics around, um, you know, private sector engagement and um, supporting small business. Wonderful. So with that said, let's hear from Abinti and Rukuru themselves. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's truly an honor. We're excited to be the first. We're very honored to have you. Um, yeah. Do you mind walking us through or telling us a little bit more about your background and sectors? Um, Binti, why don't you go first? Great. So I, I started my career, uh, I, I guess it picked up uh, when I shifted gears from public affairs to international development, uh, working at the UN Foundation, uh, consulting for the World Bank, and realizing that there are many ways the private sector could be leveraged for social good. But despite going and working in organizations that were large and, and impactful in many ways, historically impactful in different ways, there are a lot of uh, different challenges. It's uh, the ability to really see change through at a country level and really see the impact that's measurable. And so it was uh, through a series of questions that I was asking myself, kind of how can we do international development better? How can we leverage the private sector uh, uh, more effectively? Uh, was kind of a pivot that I made to decide to go to, to business school and really understand how do you mitigate risks in terms of delivering impact through the private sector and investing. 
And so through that journey, it, it, it led me to impact investing, where I worked at uh, the Global Impact Investing Network called The Gen, based in New York, uh, made a, a shift at gears a bit to really understanding how you can use financing more effectively. And so my journey was through a series of questions of kind of how am I contributing uh, more fully and wholly uh, to new interventions and solutions that could benefit people. And being of Sierra Leone ancestry, I wanted to give back to Sierra Leone and countries across Africa, especially seeing my parents do it, even though they were in the health profession, how they still gave back. For me, that was a seed that was, it was already in my DNA to give back, but how do I optimize on it? And so that kind of led me to this journey to figure out how can we leverage impact investments in a way that could benefit specifically women and girls uh, more fully so that they too can live fuller lives to support their families and benefit the ecosystems. So kind of that's kind of how I arrived uh, from public affairs to impact investing. It's been an, a dynamic experience and now here living and working in Nairobi and the beautiful benefit of meeting Wakuru uh, and working together to create our company, Live Africa. So Wakuru, let's hear a little bit about your background. So I started out <coughs> in working in the NGO sector. Um, I worked in the NGO sector for about four years. And I think for me, I, I got to a point where I didn't feel fully satisfied with what I was doing, especially because there was, there's, there's always, I, I feel like I have a problem personally with, with the notion of, you know, spending, 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 and, and not being spending and not really being able to capture impact and not really thinking about the question of sustainability and what to leave communities with um, once the project is over or the program. And so, um, funny enough, I took a break for about two years. I went back to do my master's finished my master's, then got to a point where now I started looking for something that would align to what I felt I wanted to do, but I still hadn't quite figured it out. Um, so along the way, I, I, I met uh, this group of artists and they had an organization called the Nest Collective. And what the Nest Collective does is that they produce um, their own work, whether it's in fashion, whether it's film, um, uh, they produce their own films, um, they make their own music. So it's it's basically like a really cool group of people who are heavily um, artistic and very talented as well. Um, and so I, I, I started working at The Nest um, and my work was in finance. Um, but then still, um, I still had questions and we still had like all these ideas of exploring our sustainability and what to do next. Um, this was at a time where a lot of funding towards the arts had sort of like reduced. Um, there was barely any grants that were left. Um, and if there were any, they had like a completely different uh, <clears throat> objective. And so out of this being in this space, we were still trying to see how do we ensure that um, creatives 
have, you know, have like sustainable livelihoods. They're able to pay their bills. They're able to pay for their health insurance, you know, like just make a decent living out of the, the work that they make and, and what they do. And so we started this experiment within the next, the nest. And the experiment was basically just um, giving grants to artists to be able to produce and go to market and sell the products. Um, we did this for about a year until we realized that again, the question of grants and sustainability was still there. Um, so then we decided to explore and, and have a study done uh, around East Africa to see what the, basically like what the needs of the creative sector are and how they can, what is needed in the creative sector to be able to address these needs and these gaps. And so we did that for about three months, um, went back to the drawing board, looked at the analysis and we decided to start a fund called HIVA and HIVA basically is, is the first fund um, in Africa actually that invests in creative businesses. Um, around that time, there was a lot of conversation around impact investing. Somehow impact investing for us sort of like just happened because we're in, when we're investing in a, in a sector that's heavily um, run by young women, run by um, yeah, women and, and, and young people, then the, 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 the impact effect is already there because you're, you're sort of like helping them secure their livelihoods and jobs and, you know, like helping them to contribute to the economy positively. Um, we were also really interested in exploring um, investment options that are not as capitalist as 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 what you would typically see in an in an in an investment fund, but looking also at the nuances of the creative sector and trying to create products around that, just like the way people have figured out how to invest in farming, um, trying to see how do you go and invest in a sector that's that's like that's very um under invested in um, has a lot of potential but that needs a lot of work um, it needs a lot of groundwork to be able <clears throat> to prosper and so that's basically what we did um, and and i was um, i've been i've been running um, the investment um, of hiva fund since 2014 um, and then early last year um, lydia introduced mabinti and i um, and somehow we just sort of like found each other <laughs> um, because we we have we have the same the same idea and the same views around investing in women and what it looks like when you're investing especially in this continent um, how do you create a, a fund that that speaks to what the needs are um, you know like when you look at investing in 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 the continent it's definitely different because there's a lot of young people in this continent um, there's a lot of infrastructure work that needs to be done. So there's also a lot of investment, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, uh, but then how do you have like a wholesome approach to investing in, in women-led uh, businesses? And so I, since last year, we've been, we've been working to sort of like figure out this, this question and, and, and have a framework that we can use to be able to fundraise um, and be able to ultimately uh, run a fund that that does that that was um quite a bit of information um just 
Starting by talking about what led you to want to do something different, Lydia and I as being practitioners in the development field also understand the frustration you had with the large amounts of money that's being spent and not feeling as if it's very well targeted to entrepreneurs and sectors that need it. And then for you to focus in on the creative sector, where as you said, is not a sector that is really highlighted for the types of investments that are out there. Yeah, um, a lot of the, a lot of investors, especially when, when we go, when I go for this um, sort of like meetups with, with, with investment type people, are, they're always very uh, apprehensive and, and, you know, they're very curious about how exactly we have gotten to investing in these businesses. Because to be honest, it's, 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 it's perceived as quite a risky, a risky sector. And that's because um, artists are the ones who are left to do sort of like most of the work. Um, if you look at other sectors, there's at least some infrastructure that has been set up for the practitioners or even the entrepreneurs in specific sectors, but then in the creative, <clears throat> sorry guys, in the creative sector, um, it, 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 like the approach has to be very, um, has to be from a 360 degree point of view because you have to touch on the policy around uh, businesses and the ease of doing business. Um, you have to touch on building of, of skills and the capacity building. And obviously for uh, a fund that has a model that's purely profit, then this wouldn't work because capacity building and, and, and technical assistance requires a lot of funding that's not necessarily, um, that wouldn't necessarily have like a, a return um, but then when you look at the wider scope, it's about investing in the ecosystem to be able to build a pipeline and build businesses that are able to take in capital and obviously to be profitable in the future. So what we've done is we've tested various models um, and some of them are a mix, a mix of grant debt, sort of like hybrid models that actually meet the needs of this sector, um, which, is, which is what we, we have primarily done for the last um, six years is testing models and going to investors and, and showing them that, you know, there's actually a case to make for, for the sector. And that there is also, when you look at, when you, when you speak to government, and then they are also able to see that um, there is a snowball effect once you invest in a business in terms of the number of jobs um, and, and the, and the sustainability of it. So, yeah. Thank you so much for that. So just for those that aren't aware, if you could sort of describe impact measurement and management, you know, how, what would be the definition of that? And, you know, I think you've explained sort of the problem that Live Africa is trying to solve, but um, succinctly, you know, what is your sort of reason data? Yeah, thank you for that question because it often comes up um, in talking with investors about what is IMM. Um, impact measurement and management, simply put, is a practice of measuring the direct impact of an intervention, whether that intervention is financing in a uh, historically marginalized community, uh, an intervention could be um, investing in a, a, a program or organization that aims to 
achieve social and or environmental uh, benefits for a specific region. So it, it also requires that practitioners kind of learn from the experience, which is the management side. So can we essentially measure in a, a quantitative way uh, the degree of benefits that either an investment has been able to deliver? And can we attribute that benefit to a specific program, a specific investment, or the impact of organizations that help support uh, support a company or organization in realizing some of those social and environmental benefits. And I think the challenge around impact measurement and management is that it's, it's still fairly new and there's still a, a degree of skepticism around whether it's feasible to really assess your impact over time. I think sometimes uh, because impact investing often uses new jargon compared to traditional finance. Uh, there's a degree of, well, how do I actually know that I'm measuring in the right way? How do I know that I'm actually generating impact? And I know like even in the international development space, you often see these really beautifully designed and comprehensive reports where they use language like saving lives or this is how many jobs we created. But then when you get underneath that or go into a degree of assessment, uh, are those jobs sustainable? Uh, what was the retention rate? And it's really delving in deeply to really understand whether an investment made by your organization or company actually delivered that degree of impact. And if it didn't, getting companies and organizations and investors to really divulge that information. So, so now there's this, this shift. One is, can we improve our understanding of impact measurement and management? And two, are companies and investor, investors willing to be transparent about their impact performance? I think what's interesting uh, recently, the Gen uh, reported, did a report, their second edition of the State of Impact Measurement and Management where they found that the issue of transparency around impact performance is a challenge still. Um, previously, the first edition highlighted that there's a fragmentation of approaches. How do I do IMM well or impact measurement and management well? How do I know that I'm actually uh, achieving the impact that I set out? So it's, it's working with investors, in, including institutional investors who are getting into the impact investing space a bit more. How to do this well? Can we improve the way we, we harmonize our approaches so that there is comparability over time and the degree of impact that we are able to achieve and realize? I think this uh, question, this interest around impact measurement and management comes up often, especially around the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, there's more interest from investors. I found mostly investors from Europe and Asia who gravitated towards aligning investments to the SDGs first. And I think now more investors coming from the US and other regions are making those connections. So impact measurement and management is a practice that supports uh, this, uh, this goal of being more transparent about what we're achieving and seeing the gaps. And I think more investors are starting to recognize the benefits of IMM. 
And that's informing the way they make business decisions, informing how they invest, uh, identifying opportunities maybe to find co-investments because their initial investment didn't achieve the target impact that they sought out. So IMM is a resource for many, uh, not just investors, but even at the investee level, it can be used to improve your products and services. And I think it's, it's really important that um, people take that effort to kind of explore this more. Uh, and your IMM approach will evolve over time, depending on your resources, depending on your investment product, depending on market dynamics. Uh, but it's, it, again, it's simply the ability to assess the social and environmental benefits of an intervention. And again, that intervention can be an impact investment. And monitoring that over time, and also learning from those lessons to mitigate risks that surface as a result of your impact assessment. And so let's pivot into the next question. Can you give us some insight into what investors are looking for in terms of impact, especially gender impact investment? And two, if there were a sector agnostic investment readiness checklist for entrepreneurs, what would the key things on that checklist be? Wow, these are really great uh, questions. I, I think in terms of in terms of gender and, and and impact investing, I think investors are looking for investees that have women represented represented across the value chain. Are there women in leadership? Uh, women in the role of um, kind of leading and managing a company women that you serve as a, a strong consumer group, women uh, that you engage as stakeholders in order to grow and develop your business. I think investors are looking at representation. They're also looking at, are you providing pay equity to women that you employ in your business or women in leadership? Um, are they represented uh, throughout your board? And kind of looking at what are the efforts that a company is taking to be more inclusive because there's so much research that supports that when you have women um, in business or, or women who are leading companies, they tend to uh, leverage resources a bit better. Uh, they're also able to employ other women and also deliver uh, strong business performance. And so it's, it's really looking at how are women integrated within your company, and then how are you supporting the growth and career development of not just women and men with, throughout your company, but essentially the issue of gender equity. How are you being equitable in the way you approach delivery of services and products? Um, I think the toolkit is uh, such a necessity especially now as there are more generating more awareness about using gender as a factor of making investment decisions. Uh, there are a lot of tools and resources already in the market uh, that have been developed. I know that there is one that was um, developed uh, with Aletheia Capital. It's uh, based in Nigeria that's doing phenomenal work around gender lens investing. Uh, there are a number of tools and resources that are provided. Uh, another example is uh, Calvert Impact Capital developed uh, a resource or a framework on how you include gender as a factor of invest investing. Uh, I think the guide is called Just Good Investing. Uh, there are resources that are being developed uh, by IFC gender team as well as 
other uh, grant initiatives that are really trying to generate awareness. I know Susan Beagle has been uh, one of the champions of this space uh, through Duke Case, uh, Duke University, uh, and developing resources and tool information around how do you uh, how do you operate through a gender lens? How do you invest? Kind of looking within your portfolio companies. How many portfolio companies have women in leadership or women who are entrepreneurs? What are the different products that are being created that have women in mind? So, uh, and then looking at different metric sets. Uh, so metrics on how you assess kind of how are you performing in terms of social outcomes when you are investing or working with women. Uh, there's, of course, Iris Plus tool. So uh, in this checklist, it would include uh, what metrics uh, will help you make better investment decisions. So you have Iris Plus, which is a, a tool that was developed by the GINS um, Iris and Impact Measurement and Management team. There's the 2X uh, challenge criteria. Uh, that was created to provide guidance on women at different levels um, of a company. Women, again, women as entrepreneurs, women as consumers, women in, in business that kind of provide some guidance that, that investors and companies can model their approaches to. But those are just some of the things that I would include in a checklist and some of the things that uh, investors are looking for when it comes to gender. Um, what's interesting too about that is uh, recently, uh, attended the San Calp Forum, and there was this convening of women entrepreneurs, and some mentioned that securing gender lens uh, impact investments uh, is still a challenge for them because they don't always meet the investment criteria. So if you're a woman leading a company in a historically uh, male-dominated sector, and you're at the helm, but your, your employees don't represent gender balance. Um, you don't often qualify, you may not qualify for an investment from a gender lens fund. So I think it's, there's more education that's needed. There's more guidance. I think there, there needs to be more unlocking of capital, especially from larger investors. Uh, to understand that when you invest with a gender lens, it doesn't mean you just invest in a woman just because she's a woman, but you, it's a factor, including other factors that you would um, prioritize in the way you invest over time. Thanks so much for tuning in to part one. Please check out part two of this episode from Mubinti and Wakuru next week. Please feel free to like, share, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at WTF podcast. Thanks so much.